Oh, we're, we'll we're give doing it. it live. All right. We are doing it live. Yeah, we're doing we're doing this one different because uh, it's a bit of a scoop. Hey, we're doing. we got comments. Look at that. I yeah, know people have been people have been waiting for this, man. A, you know, I don't think you understand how big of a, this of a deal this is for for <laughs> people in the ortho community. As ortho bros, you know we don't, we only have so many models, so oops, oops, you know, that's right. we've been trying to pick up the slack. I've been doing this like one handed here, <laughs> dragging. I'm mean, like dragging you along. <laughs> Your Israeli wife just tugging you on the other side, like ah. <laughs> <laughs> just let everyone know we're we're doing this. Um, uh, hi, Matt. You want to do the intro? How's it going? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, our intros are basically just this. But um, hang on a second. I'm just doing. Welcome, this. welcome to the Two Bit Podcast, where uh, three guys are going to talk about stuff, things, and things and stuff. <laughs> we are live. Welcome, Mr. Matt Erickson. Thank you, sir. I know I got to say that I feel extra welcome hearing your Canadian accent. Oh. I went to I went to <laughs> Is high it that school. Obvious? I I hear it. I went to high school in Canada, so I oh uh, where uh, British Columbia, central British Columbia. It was a little the Kelowna tiny, area. Yeah, not far away. About two hours from Kelowna, which is pretty close in British Columbia terms. Yeah, um, Lytton, Lillooet, a couple hours north of Hope, that general vicinity. Okay, yeah. Family um, there, yeah. It's oh man, it's beautiful, beautiful country, uh, right along the Fraser River, Fraser River Valley. But yeah, I beautiful. went to huh. went to went to high school on a farm. It was a carrot farm, organic carrot farm, and oh, wow. uh, I I actually I kind of took on the identity of Canadian for for a while. I'm I'm someone that picks up accents when I'm around people. With, <laughs> you still have a bit of it. Yeah. You still have a little bit of it. You got yeah. a shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I like, if I sit here and talk with someone with a with a Canadian accent, it'll I'll just start like naturally just doing it again. So it always just kind of feels like home to me. Okay. Yeah, yeah Mark definitely thing. has Mark. Mark has the accent. I don't for some reason. Really, you've got, you got some of the Aussies. Montreal. I'm Saskatchewan. Yeah, this is, is true. It's yeah. Hardwired in me, but I was I, I'm the same way when I talk to because Saskatchewan's unique because we our closest influence is like we're an hour from the U.S. border and ten hours from the closest Canadian city. So our biggest influence is Americans. And so if I start talking to someone with a drawl, that's where I'll go instantly. Mm. And so it's, it, it, I, I oscillate between Hick Canadian and Hick American. <laughs> Manitoba. Yeah. <laughs> but I do say roof with an O. Yes. Not roof. Yeah. No. Or root. I, I've never got that. I watched, I yeah. watched um, uh, Fargo. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's funny. Like if you actually spend time in Minnesota, like they don't really talk like that. Like they talk like me. <laughs> Yeah. Not, okay, a boat there. All right, we're going. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure, you betcha. Not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> J Forty says, "I honestly thought you were a Canuck that just loved American football." Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> That's directed you at that. Okay, let's just, let's start this, ladies and gentlemen, mesdames, messieurs. We are welcome this week with the magnificent, the mighty, the uh, the. Uh, <laughs> i was hoping i was hoping the words would just roll but as the mighty magnificent the the the, the what did i say mighty mighty magnificent miraculous and masculine matt erickson of the king pill podcast hi matt hi guys it is good to be here it's been a little yeah. while it's been a while yeah so i heard this is your return or you're you're starting your show again what what, what happened there 
Man, uh, moved to Texas last year, and uh, if I start talking about Texas now, I got to try and get a draw going. I can't. I don't have the draw yet. I'll join you. Um, yeah, I moved to Texas last year and, um, it's been a, it's been a long journey. I'm, we're going to be baptized. My wife and son and I are going to be baptized into the Orthodox church, um, on Pascha this year. So it'll be 13 days after Easter. Along with everybody else. Along with Buck Johnson, I hear. That's correct. That's correct. Same church? Same church. Oh, no way. <laughs> yep. Yep. Cool. So, um, one of the things that we were told, uh, shortly after we became catechumens was that this was likely to be the most difficult year of our lives. And that has been the case. It has been rough for all sorts of different reasons. Um, we're now in the third house that we've lived in since we got to Texas. And, um, I've been starting a real estate business and real estate is not an easy business to break into. Hey, if you need pointers, I I've heard. Yes. I do. Yeah. 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 So you know how it is. Um, yeah, especially right now it's going to yes. be, it's going to be slow for a period. Yeah. It's going to yep. be blood in the streets before uh, anything changes. Unfortunately yep. Yep. for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Fortunately in San Antonio is San Antonio is probably going to be one of the top 10 markets in the U S mm-hmm. um, this year. And uh, so, so yeah, so Real estate has been has been tough. Lots of lots of long hours, and and you have to wait a long time to get paid for the hours that you put in. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you really have yeah, to. Then, you learn how to squirrel. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So it's been a it's been a uh, just a just a kind of a long rough year, and and going through a lot of like if I zoom if I zoom out and look at my situation kind of objectively, it's kind of like, yeah, it seems, everything seems fine. It's not that it's nothing sexy, no big story to tell, but, um, a lot of, I've been battling a lot of, um, internal demons, I guess, just, mm-hmm. just fighting with stuff and, um, feeling, just feeling discouraged and overwhelmed and, um, just, just, it's basically the, a catechumen year. That's, this is what I'm learning with orthodoxy that it, it's, it's a, it's a battle. You're, you're signing up to fight in a spiritual war and you start feeling it. So, um, so it's been a long year and I just, I just toward the end of this, I mean, through the whole process of moving and everything, it was just difficult. I couldn't keep a studio set up and, and, and my mind was just occupied with other stuff. And I just, I don't know. I don't, I'm not someone who really does well, just sitting in front of the mic and just start talking. I have to have Mm. something to talk about. And I just, for the last year or so, I just haven't really felt like I have anything to talk about. I mm-hmm. most of the people that I listen to are all saying stuff. The stuff that I would say, the stuff that's on my mind, is the stuff they're saying, and they say it better than I do. So I'll just point it to them. <laughs> Welcome to my life. That's always I think. I'm like, how are we gonna? I'm, I'm more entertained. It's you know, never stopped us all, before, endlessly, though. Endlessly humbled. You know, it's like, okay, well, I'll go give my third rate you know, take on this thing. Someone else already covered way better than I could. So it's called two bit podcast for many reasons. There's many levels to this name. It's not just the obvious ones. Um, yeah. So, so so that brings us to here. Um, that brings us to now, uh, you are planning on coming back is, is my understanding of it. Um, yes. As a two TBA, um, which is great. Uh, we've been, you, you know, I'm part of, um, Matt's Kingpill Discord, which everyone listening to this should at least check out, um, especially if you're interested in anything orthodox, because it's kind of been a, 
uh, a hub for orthodox not not exclusively uh there's a muslim in there um mm -hmm. we, we, i think we let we still let andrew talk occasionally uh from poverty liberty but uh <laughs> but uh uh your absence there was felt um you know i i will say this and i'm not going to just shine your shoes a little, i will shine your shoes a little bit here um but that discord server uh was a salvation for me the, the year that i moved to australia because it was you know i had my revelation decided to move to australia we're doing all that stuff got here left left mark left you know, left friends had no uh there's tons of my wife's family here which is great for my daughter but in terms of feeling isolated um, I had never felt so isolated in my life, and I'd gone through like a year and a half of freaking Montreal lockdowns. Um, at the same time, trying to trying to get my head around this religious conversion that I was going through, and that Discord server, man, like I, I'm not going to say it saved my life, but it certainly saved my soul. Um, hmm. It um, it it helped it helped me a massive amount. So thank you for that. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, um, and I, I don't I don't I don't think I'm alone on that um so and it's fun you know it's we we get to shit talk and talk about you know donkeys <laughs> seeing the, no. the angel of christ like how else <laughs> where, where else are you gonna have that experience day. really i mean come on you know and, and we, we, we get those voice chats going in there and i've had some of just the wildest most mind-bending conversations ever there's just it's a crazy group of guys that we got in there that I'll just, I send out the, the, the at everyone notification. I'll say, Hey, at, at everyone, I'm going to be in the voice chat. Cause I'm walking my dog. Um, let's, you know, let's, let's talk anyone who wants to hop in and we'll get a half a dozen guys. And next thing, you know, we're down some insane rabbit hole that I couldn't even, I didn't like, I don't even know how to describe talking about some deep metaphysics or a conspiracy theory or, uh, some crazy philosophy tidbit. It just is. It's stuff that honestly I think would make really interesting podcast episodes. And every time I'm in the middle of it, I'm like, man, I should be I should be recording this shit so I can I can post it as a podcast. It would save me a lot of work. <laughs> but uh, but no, well, it's kind of the kind look, of the beauty the of it side. is that it just it's it's look, it's it's ephemeral. You you have the conversation and then it's gone. I think that is the curse of being a podcaster. Is that that's always running in the back of your mind. Anytime you have an interesting conversation, you're like, God damn it, I should be recording this. And then you get on live and you're like what was that thing? Huh? <laughs> right. You're like, well, that was the inspiration for Mark and I doing this because we were having these really long conversations during COVID lockdowns in Montreal. And we just got to a point where we were like, I think, I, I'm not sure who said, I probably think it was Mark uh, who said to me, he's like, we got to record these because like we're having like an hour, two hour long conversation that, that is interesting us, if nothing else. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I was just thinking about that today. Um, it's it's a very strange thing this thing we're doing like this thing we're doing right now is weird um it's hard to describe really what we're doing because it's like no, at no other point in history was people doing this like people are having conversations obviously but you're taking what would normally be a private conversation at a bar or you know a, a dinner party or some of that and and making it public and excusing the vainglorious aspects and all that other stuff to it like the way i think you approach it and we approach it and a few others um, it's not, it's not like Mr. Beast style. It's not, it's not done in a Logan Paul flashy kind of way, or even, even, you know, I, I think Rogan is sort of the, the ultimate model here in some ways that he's seeping through the hierarchy of what we're doing, but, but there's many different models, right? There's many different styles and, uh, and effectively it's just really a conversation between friends, um, mm -hmm. or like-minded individuals, let's say, uh, 
it's it's weird, man. <laughs> it's, it is, yeah. It's a very strange thing to uh, even want to do, let alone actually do on a on a regular basis. Like yeah, it's interesting how it sort of I don't obviously it came about organically, but it seems to be sort of the the inevitable maybe follow-on of um society becoming so atomized happened to also coincide with the technology becoming available to let us reconnect in a way and that's mm. kind of what we're doing and whether it's even intentional or conscious on our part it could just be uh, um, uh, an evolutionary or reflexive coping mechanism for for the deterioration of you know closed societal bonds and now we're recreating them in this new space and i think it's i think it's good i think it's healthy that and just that just inspired something, inspired a thought for me. And I've been <clears throat> in getting started again and, and, and trying to trying to pick stuff back up and, and get back in the flow of things. I've, I've, to be completely honest, I've struggled to know what to say. Like, what is, what is the point? What is, what is the point of what I'm doing? I know that I want to do these shows. People are asking, people want shows, but what, like, what do I offer? What, what is, what perspective do I bring to bear that's unique that, that, uh, is a value that makes it worth my time to do um, and makes it worth the time of people who are going to listen to it. Mm -hmm. And one of the thoughts that <clears throat> has been running through my head for a while is the, this is part of the reason kind of why I, I, I kind of maxed out on my bandwidth and just couldn't, couldn't, I, I had to take some time away toward the end of last year is overdosing on black pills that everyone, everyone is overdosing on black pills all the time. And it's not that I want to be the guy that, that is overdosing on white pills. I don't want to just be the, the, the equal opposite reaction because everything that people are black pilled about, I think is, I think these things are real. I think it's, it's, it's true. You can, you, you can make a justified case for all this stuff, but in surveying history, you see these cyclical patterns all the time. Mm -hmm. And from the perspective of the person living through it, they were experiencing the end of the world. The, the world right. as they knew it was was ending and a new world was beginning. And something you said there, Mark, was it's like, it's almost like in the, how would you say it? Like in the, in the depths of the worst thing is the, the little, um, like little yeah, pearl. Spark. Yeah. the spark that that brings the the new better thing so yeah. there's a there's a and i see this pattern all the time i can't think of other examples immediately off the top of my head but like so one example you say we're getting more and more atomized um through digital technology digital technology is everyone just sitting on their phones nobody talks to each other on the bus you know if they are it's because they're beating the crap out of each other and getting posting it on the internet right nobody's paying any attention to each other but now we can have a dude in Australia, a dude in Texas, and a dude in Canada sit here and have a conversation like this. So, and every single time that I hear someone going overboard on the black pills, the, whatever the thing is that they're honed in on, that they're obsessing about, like this really evil, bad thing that's going to happen, I, this evil, really evil, bad thing that's going to happen, I'm like, okay, what's the flip side of it? What's mm -hmm. the, you can't have like with a coin, you can't have heads without tails. Right having heads implies that tails is there heads rests upon tails the two of them go together everywhere and i think that this is a um this is a like a, a, a like a, something about the fundamental nature of reality mm -hmm. that there's a there's a polarity there's this constant polarity between the i don't want to say it's between good and evil because 
because you know I'm not I'm not a dualist. I don't I don't see the I don't see evil as having ontological existence. It's what's that? Is yeah. That well, what's the wasn't the, isn't there one of the laws that for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction? And maybe the internet is just kind of a force multiplier, in the sense that yeah. That, okay, we get to see the dumbest shit that's ever happened in our face every day. But at the same time, it's also opened up avenues for intelligent conversations being more easily accessible than ever in history. So you've got you got the best and the worst. Just to explain the cross, what I mean by the cross is that I think liberal, I think Western civilization for the last few hundred years has been on one axis, which is the right and wrong axis. So you know, uh, and we people have now have now. synergize right with truth and wrong with with let's say deception or or non-truth whatever whatever you want to say the actual inversion of truth is but in act but but i would say reality is built on that cross model where it's like it's there's right and wrong there's truth and Mm. say let's say deception Mm -hmm. right and that forms that that's reality without without those quadrants you're only left with with one with one level of reality and this is what i think you know the message of this show has i don't know if it always was there but it certainly has become that is that you are not alone and i think that's a powerful message to put to people even though you know even though our audience has always remained small it doesn't really matter um to me it's it's more that to to let people know that if we're okay you're not crazy and if you are well we're all crazy and we're all seeing this thing and this thing is now affecting us and we are coming to these same realizations and these realizations are thousands of years old and there's and there's a pattern for this so you know if if we're crazy well then fuck it reality's crazy uh you know uh it's it's you know it's all it's all it's all it's all it's, it's all nuts um but i don't th- think that the the continuation of the of the let's say the enlightenment theories are anywhere closer to the truth because it's 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 actually the absolution of of truth and deception into just this one into one you know right uh, right wrong paradigm uh, a false dichotomy of right and wrong which is like well look you can have all the tr- it's what we saw during covid you can have all the all the facts on your side and the facts don't matter because because people think in narrative functions and if unless the narrative rings true to them then it doesn't matter all your facts and all your mm. everything else they will follow the narrative and so, that speaks more to truth and false than 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 right and wrong you know mm-hmm. right so i had a thought there um i don't know if you've been following scott adams and his recent admission that the anti-vaxxers were right about everything i i want to know what i, I want to know what his angle is because i don't even I don't, know yeah i don't i don't after having followed scott for as long as i have i've kind of fallen away from him for the last year and a half yeah, or he so, hasn't but been like, interesting since COVID. yeah yeah but I, he's he has invested too much in being right about the mm-hmm. vaccines to to pivot on a dime and say no actually i was wrong and he's a guy who likes to right. play psychological games with his audience so to me this this seems to me i smell a rat i smell this as mm-hmm. like this is something that is 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 being orchestrated or planned or that that he's he's playing a game i want to know what his game is Maybe I I see it as as he's trying to understand because I think I this is how I see it anyways. But I don't know if this is correct or not, but for some reason Christians got COVID right, 
and guys like him who are ego driven intellectualizing everything they cannot understand it because like you didn't even have the data and most of the data you had was probably bullshit how did you even know whether it was right so hmm. there's something fundamental about the way certain people approach the topic and i think that the way i've been trying to understand it or see it anyways is that um where where it turned at least for me and a lot of people i know was as soon as they, because I was scared for a while when you heard, oh, people are dying in China. Like when it started, mm -hmm. it, it, it's interesting how the narrative, uh, the reaction flipped about three months in. The first yes. three months, Tim Pool, everybody, we were all freaking out. I mean, I remember watching Molyneux and he was saying, oh, the world's going to die. And I was scared. I would go for walks. I'd be like, oh, I'm short of breath. I might die. And, <laughs> but it was when they got to the point where they said, turn on your neighbor. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's not going to happen. And I think there's some kind of connection there to the Christian ethos. And Jason and I were talking about this before you jumped on about Christ being the scapegoat and what, what the, the, that purpose of internalizing the, the uh, fight against good and evil instead of externalizing it and blaming a certain group. And I think that's the function that Christ serves. Something inherent in that allowed Christians to see the bullshit. And they didn't even need to read the studies. They could be completely scientifically or medically illiterate. And they were like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to blame my neighbor. And I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm Christ is my scapegoat and my faith is in God, not science. Mm -hmm. And it was really that fundamental. And this is what Scott Adams can't understand is that, no, they didn't, they didn't have to read whatever was coming out of Johns Hopkins. It was mm -hmm. just, it was, it was foundational for them. And when you have the right foundation, you can be thrown into a, a fucked up, weird, nobody knows what's going on situation and you, your outcomes will align correctly because your foundation is, is right. So it's interesting. There's, there's an interesting, uh, um, aspect of orthodoxy and, and sorry to your wife. I know, I know she, we're gonna have another conversation <laughs> about the church. <laughs> it's all good. Um, before I say that, I want to respond to, to Carlos here. He asked, uh, what's my favorite taco? My new favorite taco. My new favorite taco is the same as what's always been my favorite taco. It's lengua. I just love lengua tacos. Um, I don't know if that's a satisfactory answer, but um, I'm Canadian. Something. I got nothing. Yeah, something about uh, orthodoxy is very interesting. Uh, two things actually. One of them is that the truth is not a thing. It's a. It's a who. It's not a what. It's a who. Hmm. The truth is a person. And the second thing related is that God is someone you can have a personal relationship with. Those are two very unique defining traits about, I guess the personal relationship part is, is if you want to get philosophically technical, orthodoxy is the only um, Christianity that has a coherent doctrine of, of both the nature of Christ and the Trinity, but leaving that aside. So the, 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 the personal relationship thing is, is more kind of a broadly Christian thing, but specifically the idea of the truth being a person is, mm. is very, it's, it's, it's unique. Most global religions, truth is a what, and it's because it's a what you're dealing with correspondence, you know, cor like cor the correspondence between different things. And you're looking at the relationships between various different, different variables versus with orthodoxy, the truth is a person. And so a person who you can have a relationship with is someone you can follow. So for Christians, 
they could follow the truth. And that doesn't mean, I don't mean it in the uh, like, like, like Jim Bob's folder chasing, like, you know, I'm, I'm following the truth. I'm a truth seeker, you know, like the, the kind of uh, crazy, uh, like uh, a truther community type of people, which yeah, it's, I like some of them. Some of them are (laughs) what? That's me, bro. Well, it's me too as well. But the the broader part of the community is it gets very uh, uh, like gnostic and and esoteric and stuff. Which is which is I was telling you before I went live. That's the angle I was headed. And so Hmm. um, when I got the someone pulled the the rip cord on my on my parachute and um, and got me into to orthodoxy. but uh, what was I saying? So truther, truth-seeking, uh, follow the truth. Oh, so, so yeah, so following the truth. Following the truth is not just some vague sense of like reading a bunch of details and connecting some dots. Following the truth is literally following a person. And you can follow that person, and that person happens to be God, happens to be almighty, crea- almighty creator, transcendent God. You can follow him, and you can have a personal relationship with him. And I think that's how Christians were able to see through the bullshit. Because if you're looking at the truth, there's like the old, the, the hired story about the like uh, counterfeit money, where um, they uh, they don't teach you to find counterfeit money. They have you look look at the real thing all the time and handle the real thing all the time. Mm. And then when a counterfeit bill comes <laughs> across, you you recognize it immediately because right. it's different. So same thing with God. You know, if you're looking at the real thing all the time, then something yeah, that's easy to bullshit spot. is gonna is gonna is gonna trip all the red flags in the world. Right. Huh. Just to to pigeon to to pivot on that one because uh, uh, someone in my one of my DMs was asking this. I think this is a, this, uh, this is a much asked question about you know Matt you used to be libertarian you used to be very uh, pro libertarian you were part you were one of the main uh, figures of the quote-unquote post-libertarian movement uh which you know delighted me only to see how many people spurred out about it because i wasn't libertarian so i was just in there reading popcorn going this is fantastic um <laughs> but but uh someone so someone asked me um uh you know what what i thought the reason for so many post-libertarians becoming orthodox or 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 christian in general was if they weren't already and i'm like i don't really know because i i wasn't a libertarian i wasn't uh, an anarchist i kind of you know uh, was adjacent to it but i was never never uh, would have claimed membership of that group um so i'll throw that to you um because i don't have a personal i i have i have my suspicions i have my own little pet theories but but seeing that is that you went from libertarianism to post-libertarianism to orthodoxy um what's your take on that if you can kind of synergize it for the for the group after i get my take i'd be curious to know what your thoughts are um man that's a that's a hell of a thought so i'll say first of all what's really interesting to me i just in the last three or so months ago i came across uh jim bob made by jim bob um he's a political cartoonist if you look him up i guarantee you you've seen his cartoons before um he is he has been following this exact same trajectory and what's really interesting about it is that he's been mostly disassociated from the broader post-libertarian kind of little little crew of people we've had he's much higher profile and 
he's I mean, he's been friends kind of adjacently with like Pete Quinones for a little while, but he's mostly been on this journey kind of completely adjacently. And he's now an inquirer into orthodoxy and attending a church regularly. And he went from almost at the exact same time, he started leaving libertarianism behind and going in a post-libertarian direction. I think he's even used the term post-libertarian and then eventually wound up in orthodoxy. And so I've been listening to him for the last three months or so. He does five streams a week. He does a live stream for two or three hours a day. He comes on monologues for an hour and then brings, he just dropped the link in the chat and anybody can hop on and he'll debate with them about philosophy, religion, anything. Um, So he, it's been fascinating watching his trajectory and seeing him going through all the exact same thought patterns that I went through, but like completely independently from each other. We're have basically no connections. Um, he's been close in with like Owen Benjamin and, and, and like that whole circle of people. And I think the first thing was some of the chat said that the, the way people turned on each other during COVID was the most evil I've ever seen. That's a truth I'll never unsee. Someone I was listening to recently said that um, the way that most people or the way that many people find God is by seeing the devil. Mm-hmm. When you see the devil, then you realize God exists. And I think that was a big part. I've had a few people ask me recently how I came, like how I came to orthodoxy. And I had to think about it. And I was like, well, there was three broad subjects. Um, one of them was, uh, just interested in, in like from a scientific perspective, I was, I wanted to, I was doing psychedelics and I wanted to understand them like from a scientific perspective, like I'm having these wild experiences and I want to understand them. I want to know what's happening here. These are very real. So where, where am I going? What's happening to me? What am I, what are these things that I'm seeing? What are these thoughts that I'm having? How does this all fit together? So I was studying like theoretical physics, quantum mechanics, um, trying to trying to figure out like what's the fabric of reality what is it that, that that if you go down to the quantum level what's what's there what's lower than the quantum level so i was like this is like one train of thought i have running mm-hmm. second train of thought was the um graham hancock uh, alternative history alternative prehistory um uh, ancient civilizations that kind of mythology that the studying that and then the third thing was politics And so that was a a pretty dominant part for me uh, doing the show with Jason Stapleton. I'm kind of immersed in this world all the time. And it's fascinating looking back on it now because I see how all three of these different worldviews were all feeding each other. They were all creating, each of them was creating questions for the other worldview to answer. And on the political side of things, I started reading Mentor's Moldbug and he makes which is how i discovered you in the first place yeah was was it one of my live readings yeah interesting okay Mm. yeah um the i I was reading mitch's mold bug and i was just like i'd been i've been starting to go through what everyone had did kind of with with covid recognizing man this is this is just people are voluntarily signing up for this this is this is the worst tyranny that i've ever seen in my lifetime and people are begging for it. People are demanding it. And actually, even before that, I was when I still was buying into it for the first month or two, 
you know, I'm listening to Cernovich. I'm listening to some of these other people who are like, this yeah, is, is going to yeah. be bad. Yeah. This is this is not going to be pretty. And I was like, even if it's not the virus, even if the virus itself isn't bad, the effect that it's going to have on supply chains and everything is this is going to this is going to devastate us economically. I and, still got a year's worth of food. Yeah, yeah. In the pantry. Right, <laughs> I'm right. Like, I'm going to be eating canned chili for the next <laughs> six months straight. Yeah. And and I was thinking, I was like, well, wait a second. So maybe maybe this maybe this virus isn't isn't what it's all cracked up to be. But what if it was? What if there was something like this, and them telling us you need to lock down, you need to socially distance, you know, calm down, Sam Harris, just calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Don't bring up dead babies. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, but what if 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 that was the case, then objectively speaking, the best thing that we could do would be to socially isolate ourselves and like navigate through this by ensuring that there isn't mass spread of this terrible pathogen that wipes everybody out. And I was like, it's not going to work to, you can't like voluntarily have something like that happen. People aren't going to voluntarily do that because most people are fucking retarded. So how, all of a sudden, my whole notion of like the ideal structure of a society and, and authority and all that stuff was turned on its head. I was like, wait a second. In a hypothetical world where this is like super mega contagious Ebola, then having someone at the top say, you guys separated in your house. If you leave your house, you're arrested. Like Having someone do that would be like objectively the best thing for the situation to prevent everyone from killing each other. And I was like, I can't fit this into a libertarian worldview. So I need to start questioning some of my priors. And that's around the time that I encountered Moldbug. And so I went, I went from ANCAP to Monarchist just overnight. It just happened almost immediately. And what's interesting is for a long time, I'd said, when I, from the first time that I ever read um, Hans-Hermann Hoppe, I would I would say just kind of to be pithy with people I would just say um the difference between monarchy and anarchy is a single bullet. So there's there the two of them are actually fairly close to each other. Um I've since evolved beyond that a little bit. It's a little more nuanced even than than I was thinking then. But once I got into realizing okay m- monarchy like all right we we the future is monarchy. Like that's the direction we need to push. Cause I'm still in my political engineering. We need to engineer Liberty somehow. And so I'm trying to fit these things together. And the more I tried to fit them together, I was just like, there's something spiritual that's happening here. I just can't, people would say there's a spiritual component to this. And I was like, no, this is spiritual. This is a spiritual war that's happening. And then with the other two things that I was talking about with the psychedelics and with the 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 ancient history and understanding ancient mythology and everything, then I'm like, okay, I'm starting to see these cycles. I'm seeing these patterns and recognizing the way that they're playing out at the macro level, the micro level, micro level. Um, that just, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that really answered your question. I probably wasn't no. very coherent, but I mean, look, uh, I think there's a lot, there's a lot there to unpack. Uh, sorry, Mark, go ahead, go ahead and I'll, I'll, I'll give you my response. <laughs> I was just going to say, I forgot what the question was, uh, but <laughs> back to Matt's like being spiritual. I think, yeah, people really did see that because, again, back to what I was saying before about how Christians had sort of that fundamental um, layer, that substrata that allowed them to see through it. It, it. I don't even know how to, I'm still trying to figure out how to explain why it became so obvious for some people 
that this was spiritual, but again, it was something about we were put in a position where it seemed like things were out of our control and you had to put your faith somewhere. It goes back to that thing that someone's like, Oh, why are you religious? Like, no, we're all religious. You just got to pick one. And when I'm, when I look at the plethora of choices, Christianity to me seems like the better one because I can, I can relate to the moral lessons inherent in it of Christ being the scapegoat of it being universal and individual at the same time. Mm. Um, but yeah, like okay, you're gonna what do you worship uh God or Fauci? Take your pick, which one's better? Because we were put in the situation, everybody worshiped something, everyone was scared of something, everybody turned to something to find their peace, their comfort, their stability. And some people made the right choice, and a lot of people made the wrong choice. And so it was this is why I think it's it's kind of relative with a lot of experiences like this that happen globally that where you Again, it's kind of what you were saying before, where it's it's like like duality, but not quite, where it's good and bad simultaneously. And like an experience like this is the worst thing that ever happened, but the consequences aren't necessarily good or bad. They're what you made of them. And everybody got confronted with that. Here's the reality. Here's the position where you're going to make a choice and and judge the tree by its fruits. I wouldn't say that even though COVID was hard, it was a, the hardest thing a lot of us went through in our lives. If you look back at it, I think societally it might have been a, a good thing. Mm-hmm. So right that if that's the white pill, uh, you know, because I've I'm I'm still amazed daily looking at people I know going like wow, if you know if I, look at these this, it made me see life in a new way. It made me contemplate things in a deeper level. It it had these great effects. And I think that's the the, the beauty of of nature or whatever it is, this circumstance, the the thing that we're all going through, nothing is necessarily all evil and there's good inside. So that was kind of what I was driving at earlier with the idea of, of of the people that get really blackpilled. And I think, okay, well, what Mm -hmm. is the, you can look on the bad side of, of all of these things. You can look at how terrible the whole COVID thing was and the response and the lockdowns and all the people who died because of it. You can like, yeah, those, those things definitely happened and those things were bad. There's been many times throughout history where really bad things have happened that have killed a lot of people. And it was egregious. It was unjust. It was terrible. It was awful. But what, what just as real as all of those bad things is all of the, are all of the good things. I mean, now you've got, um, well, first of all, the ability to work remotely, it's easier now than it ever has been, which gives a lot of people, a lot of flexibility, financial flexibility, geographic flexibility. Um, There's more people than ever who are interested in homesteading and um, being able to generate an income that they control. And uh, and then, like I guess most of all, is the number of people that it drove to the church. Mm-hmm. You don't get those things without COVID. You, right. they, the, that was what... The, the suffering was what produced the outcome. And you mm-hmm. wouldn't get the outcome without the suffering. So you can sit and you can beat your head all day about all of the black pills, all of the evil things that are happening, all of the they's who are out there, who are are controlling things, manipulating things, and doing awful right. things. Coming to kids for you, and there's going to be climate lockdowns. There's going to be all these things. I'm like, great, right? Bring sure. it on. Imagine, like, right? This is why. Okay, like Davos can sit around in their in their committees and their things, coming up with their schemes, and I'm like, good, do it. The yes. unforeseen consequences 
are going to be a boon for humanity. Yes. So go for it. Try it. Bring yes. it on. Because you, you know what? It, and for every action, there's an opposite reaction. Yes. And for from the Orthodox perspective, you know what? If you come and you do all that and you get to me and you kill me. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> what's um? You, uh, you just made you just made uh, me a martyr, <laughs> right? No, um, Obi Wan, yes, drag me down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so to tie it back into my answer yeah, so to, back to your the question, yeah, libertarian the Orthodox stream, I'll speak a little bit personally on this one. Is that what what broke me? I think or started to break me, or the yeah, the realization came afterwards, but. I think what, what started to break me was that, that liberalism in general is founded on this pre, uh, presupposition of a standard morality that for, for the most part, 99% of the, of the population all agrees with and all, and all um, uh, operates, with, operates from. And of course, there are those who don't, but they're, 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 you know, criminals are essentially in the minority. Um, uh, and that standard morality, you know, this is what, you know, Gad said or the... Um, uh, evolutionary psychiatrists would, would contend is that that's been evolved over thousands and millions of years and that's how we've gotten to this point where we you know we don't do certain things and we think these things are right and these things are wrong and these things are bad the the thing with that happened during those lockdowns is that 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 position was no longer tenable for me because i'm looking around going well obviously that's false this is Everything that I rested my foundational beliefs of reality on has now been tipped over, uh, and it's no longer valid, and or at least not valid in the ways I thought they were. And then suddenly, now you're in a cascade. Now you're like, okay, well, crap. Well, if this is wrong, then what else is wrong? Like, what else did I get wrong? If I got this massive thing, which it was like I didn't realize how vulnerable I was until this thing got exposed, and now I'm like, I I don't know what to do. Like I don't, you know, that when I called out to God, um, in in a sense of desperation, it was from that position of simply saying I don't understand reality anymore. Um, and the answer I got back was to bear witness, and maybe we'll do this a little bit with you, Matt, because I've been. I'm at a weird, interesting point. I'm not a catechumen right now because churches here are very, very difficult to get to. Um, but I feel like I've, and, I, and I'm not trying to say anything heretical. I, it's just, I feel like I've been going on that, uh, I've been traveling that path even without the instruction of a church, which is now, I think, getting dangerous. Because um, I'm at a very interesting point now where I'm being pulled and I feel that tension now between both demon and Jesus at the same time. And I'm in, at, at sort of at, at a very, um, dangerous, let's say, uh, sensitive point right now in my in 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 my life, and I can see it. Like I, I can feel those effects. Like it's like it's it's very hard to describe, but unless you unless you've been there, and um, but it's it, you know when I was commanded to bear witness, I didn't know what that meant, and I've taken a long time to try to figure that out because it's very simple, but it's also very complex. Because it can go from everywhere in the scope of things, you know, those Russian monks who were hauled out in front and told to sign the paper and said, God is great in all things, they buried witness. And we know what happened with them. And, and there's the more personal level of it. And I understand that once you take that commandment on, 
sacrifice and suffering now has context. And this is kind of what led me to orthodoxy. One, it was personal. My grandfather was orthodox. Um, so I naturally kind of veered into that, looking for answers uh, out of a default status. And then from that, also realized that this is the only church that I'm aware of that deals with sacrifice and suffering in, in, as, a, as a centerpiece for understanding. Like, you know, it's not the only thing, but certainly if you start to understand those two things, then everything about everything else makes sense. Um, it unlocked for me understanding that God's love includes suffering. It's not exclusionary. Because for a long time, my anger and my resentment towards God came from the idea that how can an all-loving God also create suffering? Like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't figure that one out um, until it became, I, I, until I just basically, uh, you know, I had a revelation. And, and it's from that that all other things flow. I don't know if there's a question here, or, or, or I don't know where you, you, you want to just like... I've got, I've got thoughts. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Share your thoughts. It's um, kind of what I do. I don't really ask questions. Just I just go, talk just, until I run out of things and go, do something with this. <laughs> That's funny. When I, uh, as a quick aside, when I, I reached out to Jim Bob recently and asked him if he'd be interested in coming on the show, and uh, and I said, I said, I'm not going to call it an interview because I don't know how to interview people. I just have like loose, unscripted conversations. Um, okay, so so I have, I have two thoughts. Um, uh, if I forget, remind me suffering is the other, the other, the second thought. So I'll go into the first one. Um, the first one is probably a more direct answer to the question that you asked about the connection, the people going from libertarian to post-libertarian to orthodox. And for me, as I was, I was kind of trying to pick my way through the story and I had all these different disparate details. And I, there was one point in particular that I missed, which is that I, in reading Moldbug, is very ironic. In reading Moldbug, he pointed out that the modern Americanism, modern American culture, is functionally a Protestant denomination. It's a secular Protestant denomination. The way he described it is essentially that the Reformation continued until the point where they reformed Christ out of the church, but they retained the same... Uh, essentially the same worldview. They're still operating from virtually all the same priors. Even the pagans today are Christians. Like right. their, their entire worldview is borrowed from Christianity, and then they start pulling out the pieces they don't like and replacing with other pieces. So what they end up becoming is actually a an anti-Christian mm -hmm. or anti-Christ. They're, 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 not something different altogether. They are, they have things that they have taken out of the worldview and plugged in in place of it. And one of those is Christ. They've taken Christ out and plugged something else in his place. The thing that yeah, they've equity. plugged in his place is the individual. And I, as I was, I kept hearing people talk about individualism, individual free will. You have to, the, the, the respect and dignity of the individual. And I was like, from a Christian perspective, there's a, there's a place for that, but the way these people are talking about this is very weird. They're not talking about specific individuals. They're talking about a hypothetical individual. They're talking about like an archetypal individual, but that archetypal individual doesn't exist. That archetypal individual, if, and if that archetypal individual doesn't exist, that archetypal individual can't have rights. You can't grant rights to something that doesn't exist. So what you have is you have people 
and you need to talk about when you when you talk about the rights that are are owed to those people what you're talking about is duties that other people have toward them if you say i have a right to this you're placing constraints on the behavior of other people and so i started trying to when i started i was kind of going through these things and so i was like all right well i need to understand the enlightenment i need to understand where these thinkers i need i need to understand this stuff better so let me let me go back to the enlightenment i went to the enlightenment started understanding the enlightenment thought and more than some of the philosophical roots of of uh the the american revolution and the the declaration of independence etc and it was like well i okay this just gives me more questions i need to go back further and oh here's more oh, more questions okay i need to go back further next thing i know i'm at the great schism and, and <laughs> cooper <laughs> and I, I just i kept going back further and further and of course this is simultaneous with the uh, uh, the the exploration into orthodox or into into monarchy, and so then I realized the relationship between orthodoxy and monarchy, and at the same time I have uh, Venn Cyprian bringing up uh, orthodoxy to me as like it's he says it's like Christianity but mystical. I think it was him who said that, or somebody told me that orthodoxy was like Christianity but mystical. And with all of this, I'm thinking like ancient civilizations and and. And then uh, 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 Buddhism and Hinduism and like, where are all these these gods stories coming from? Where are these ancient myths? What are they? What are these patterns? I need to get all of these patterns and put them in front of me and try to figure out the pattern in the patterns. Yeah. And it was once I began studying orthodoxy that I realized this is what orthodoxy is. This is what mm. the church has taught the all along. Is, yeah. Yes, this is what Christianity is. The, what Christianity, the Christianity I knew, that libertarianism is a is a gay watered down bastardization of, is a gay watered down bastardization of actual Christianity. And so then, in a, in a weird way, it was like I've 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 never felt like I veered away from the path that I was on, the path that took me from like vague neocon to kind of like uh, a watered down classical liberal to a, a, a libertarian to like a minarchist to an ANCAP to a Hoppian. I've continued that trajectory. So in one sense, it's almost like I, I've, I've been, I've encountered these libertarian ideas and I'm trying to make them work. I'm trying to fit them into a context. And a lot of the, ideas that libertarianism has are um they're stolen from another worldview they've taken components from another worldview and tried to stitch them together with their own pieces and you get like a freaking hobgoblin of horror but if you take those pieces and you put them in their right order you you justify those pieces then suddenly it's just everything just 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 popped right out to me and it was mm. it was just like it was a foregone conclusion to me at that point i was just okay this yeah. this is what i've been looking for that's interesting i mean i can i can relate a lot to all the topics you just mentioned because i'm the same way like if, for me it was, if there's a conspiracy theory if there's an ancient civilization thing i mean i remember watching uh joe rogan's first special something something monkeys in space years ago and i thought it was brilliant because uh-huh. he's talking about the pyramids and you know i've always been like i'm i'm Again, where's the pattern? How does this make sense? And I've always sort of been um, the outlier. I mean, I remember having arguments with Jason, you know, years ago about because I'll go off on flat Earth, on the moon landing, on any, you know, the dinosaurs are fake and gay. 
um and i i love that stuff and uh -huh. i've seen an interesting um combination with with where people as they come to the same sort of recognition of what you were just describing that they become okay with the idea that things are more fantastic and more sort of based than the narrative that we're taught in high school mm -hmm. it's like no no this well, could be way the... cooler this could be so much so much yes. more and so much less in the same sense like that yes okay. again and, and this I, is Yarvin's yeah Sorry, I was just going to say, I, no, and, and I, I reserve, I'll, I reserve the right to reserve my opinions on a lot of things. I like, I think it was Plato or mm -hmm. someone who said, like, a smart mind is someone who can entertain an idea without believing it. And yes. so, it was, when it goes to, to conspiracy theories and all that stuff, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know uh -huh. the shape of the earth. I'm never going to. There's no way for right. me to verify any of that. But I like the idea. I like, I like looking into topics where you can see the Dunning Kruger effect. Of mm -hmm. everyone who's anti that thing and i'm like well the people that have looked into this because i actually if you do spend a couple of hours on it you realize that the people who are the crazy conspiracy conspiracy theorists have a lot more knowledge about whatever that topic is than the general public who's calling them idiots and so i like that and i like being part of a community who again i don't know what this is but there's something about the fundamental where they become okay with entertaining these ideas that i think are interesting and i could go we could go into i'd love to i know uh you know, I would sort of argue with Jay. Like, I would do a one of my favorite shows is the Tinfoil Hat with Sam Tripoli. Uh -huh. It's just like crazy. He's the brand. I was like, I don't know. We're here to talk. You don't like it? Don't take it. Bring whatever you can to the table, and and we'll talk about it. But uh, yeah, I, it, it's I have, something. Go ahead. I have some thoughts on that, um, mm. but I want to make sure I get to the other point first, which was suffering. Yeah. So try to keep these approximately. In order. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, okay. I'm doing, I'm taking you take buck notes? notes. So I'm <laughs> taking buck notes. It's okay. <laughs> um, suffering, suffering. Okay. Make sure I remember. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So when, uh, when we were getting ready to, to move out to Texas, we were trying to decide if we were going to move to Texas. We were living in Southern, Southern California. My son had just been born. Um, we were, we loved where we lived. The place where we were, you hear Southern California and you think like commie shithole. I mean, it's kind of a commie shithole, but the place where we were living... Yeah, I live in Canada. Is, yeah, right, right. <laughs> the place in Southern California where we were was actually Trump country, basically. We were about 70, 75 miles east of LA, um, out towards Palm Springs. And out in that area, it just it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. You've got mountains with snow on them. You've got the ocean. You've got deserts. You've got palm trees. You've got beautifully manicured lawns you've got fruit trees all over the place it's just it's heaven on earth like the when it's really really hot it's super dry and there's a nice breeze all the time so nice. it'll be 110 degrees and 15 percent humidity with a nice breeze um or when it gets you know cold, what the weather is here right now probably cold as balls it's minus 40 oh fuck. yeah Sorry, it's minus 28 but with the the wind or whatever the feels minus like 40 yeah minus 40 and, yeah. Interesting little little trivia. Minus forty is the point where Celsius and Fahrenheit yeah. meet. Yeah. So it's the same either way. Yeah. The coldest it's I ever got when I was in Canada was like minus thirty five. Yeah. It's yeah. like, what's well, funny? Like, I'm going down too many rabbit trails here, but I'll, I'll button them up. So, a very very weird thing that I learned about myself living in Canada is that you know the feeling when you get really really cold and you inhale and your nose hairs freeze. Mm -hmm. Apparently for me that happens at. It doesn't happen at like plus two degrees. It does happen at minus two degrees. 
So hmm. my nose can tell me whether it's above <laughs> or below zero. I'm talking Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, above or below zero. So, um, but I've always told people that like once you get below zero Fahrenheit, it's not really like it doesn't feel colder to you necessarily. Things just fall off faster. Yeah. Well, it your just... eyes freeze shut. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. Anyway, so Southern California. We're living in Southern California, and it's just it was just glorious. We loved living there. Um, and then once we started going to, um, once you started getting into orthodoxy, I was like, all right, well, what's the closest Orthodox church? And I realized that the closest Orthodox church, like 20 minutes from us was father Josiah Trenum's church. And he was one of the main influences on me watching YouTube videos and starting to learn about it. So we did not want to leave the church, leave that specific church. Um, but we were feeling like we needed to get out of Southern California. And then we had a, uh, a, a change in employment status that made it a much more urgent matter. So we met, went and met with Father Josiah. Kind of told him our concerns. Talked about you know, feeling like the biggest thing was I'm like I'm raising a son. Little boys inevitably wind up in the emergency room. If you like, you, you just can't avoid it. And um, yeah, <laughs> we. We, we are very particular. I'll, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but we are very particular about um, the medical procedures that are performed on our son, um, namely none. So the we were like, we don't, we don't want to live in a medical apartheid state with a child in that situation because yeah. it seems like it'd be very easy. That's, a, that's like a shortcut to CPS at your door. So we went and we're, we're explaining this stuff to him, and he just sat and he listened and and uh and then he just paused and he waited for a minute and he goes well first of all you guys are gonna be just fine he says you're not you're not whether whether california is taken over by rabid commies or, or or whether you move to texas you know either way you're gonna be just fine and he said he says if you're lucky then you will be martyred shortly you and your whole family will all be die as martyrs shortly if you're lucky but you're probably not going to be that lucky um, you're probably gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna live and, and things are gonna get worse. The bad news. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then he said, uh, he said, the other thing is, he says, we Orthodox, we don't run, we don't run and hide. He said, we, we fight for our communities. We're not just going to lay over and, and let our communities be taken over. He said, you know, he encourages his parishioners to be involved in their local governments, to be active members of their community. And he gets to know all of the local politicians and make sure he's, he's very active in the pro-life marches and everything. Um, and, but then he said, <clears throat> he told us a story and he's father Josiah, just a fantastic storyteller. He's, we're sitting there in his office and he's just telling us the story. And he said, it was a, 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 a priest friend of his, um, I think like a mentor kind of that lived in somewhere in Eastern Europe. I don't remember where Serbia, Romania, Bulgaria, somewhere in there. And uh, the the priest was was uh, was serving the liturgy one day, and and uh, all of a sudden a woman just burst in the back doors of the church, just wailing and crying, and making a huge scene, just really kind of disrupting stuff. So the priest asked the deacon to go, just take her outside, take her, just take her out into the front, and just tell her I'll be out as soon as the liturgy's over. I promise I'll come out and and, and attend to whatever she needs. So. The uh, service ends. He heads out. Says, you know, "What can I do for you? What's going on?" And she said, "Father, uh, everything that my husband and I have set our minds to, we have been successful. We have 
Um, our children are grown and they have their own spouses and lots of kids. They've been very, very productive in that sense. Um, all of their family businesses, their, their ventures, they're all successful. Every crop, I think they're farmers, every crop that we've built, we've, 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 we've planted has just been an abundant harvest. We want for nothing. We're, we're old, fat, and happy. We don't need anything. And she's just, just sobbing the whole time. And she's just stops and she looks up at him with just tears streaming down her face and says, father, God has abandoned us. Oh, wow. And, and so he tells a story and then he just throws his head back and he just laughs, just, just, just laughs for like 30 seconds. And he goes, he goes, we in the West, we don't know what suffering is. We have no idea what suffering is. These are people who lived through communism in, in like, like actual communism and to the Orthodox mind, to the Eastern Orthodox mind, suffering is evidence that God is working in your life, that God is present with you, because suffering is the tool that he uses to mold and shape you. There's all the, all the analogies people make about, um, uh, you know, you, you put the, the, um, like if you're making a sword, you put the sword in the fire and you have to heat it up and then you to, to hammer it out and bend it, the blacksmith. Um, there's all these different analogies that you, you have to yeah, the purifying test fire. things. I mean, yeah, yeah this is a very, exactly. it's, a, it's a, it's a repetitive motif. Right, right. To say the least. And, and, and that is like, that's what suffering is in orthodoxy. So suffering is something to be embraced, to be leaned into. I mean, not to be, not to be a, like a Martin Luther, like climbing up the steps on his knees, whipping himself. Like you don't need to go that far. Yeah. There's something to be not... said about aesthetics, but it's not to be feared. Right. Well, that, you that, what Luther did was, was actually a form of vainglory because right. he's, 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 um, it, it becomes a selfish thing that, that he's just, he's, he's going to prove just how pitiful and weak and awful and terrible he is. Um, but yeah, so that was the, when you were talking about suffering, that was the, that was the thought that, um, uh, that, that came to mind. That story just, just rocked my world. I've, I've never looked at the world the, the same since, since I heard that story. It was, it was one of the greatest privileges of my life to sit and listen to Father Josiah Trenum tell me, like me and my wife, the only two people in the room to sit there and tell us that story. It was, it was like being, I, I've said before with Father Josiah that, I've heard people talk about being in the presence of a holy man and like you can you can sense when you're in you're like you sense the holiness in someone's presence mm -hmm. that's father josiah he is he's an amazing amazing man um yeah that was that was that was my story on suffering nice so just as a, as a point of uh, just as a show thing uh do we have any do we have you for another hour matt or uh yeah i can do another hour okay so just just so we know, <laughs> so yeah. we don't like start. yeah, make it 45, 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. You, you, you let me know. You give me a heads up whenever you want. Uh, I just don't want to. I, I just need to know if we're like wrapping this up now or we yeah, got, no, no, we got, I still got, got time. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Mark. Um, no, I was just gonna say. I think I like um, Los Libertinos just asked. So when does forgiveness come into the equation? Kind of out of left field for me, but I think it's an interesting idea. Um, if you want to elaborate on the question. <clears throat> yeah. Carlos, maybe. while you elaborate on the question, I'll say the other thing that I was going to say in response yeah. to the last thing that you'd said, Mark. And that is that I'd said earlier that I was kind of trying to, I was having a hard time figuring out exactly what my, 
what the point was of doing the show. Like what, what's, what's my angle? What's my, what's the through line that connects different episodes? Is it it this? Is it, is it it doll sucks? I've had way too many conversations with Cooper about his bodily organs today. (laughs) Um, Today. Yeah. Just today. (laughs) Um, We talked about flatworms earlier. That gives you an idea. Oh yeah. I saw saw it in discord. (laughs) Um, that's one of those no, where you I, scroll I, up. You're, you see, see something. You scroll up. You're like, I, I'm, I, I'm good. I, I don't, I don't need to know anything more about this. I'm, <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> Fucking linguini coming out of his ass. I'm like, oh, I don't. okay. You guys go on. I need a five minute pause here. I'll be <laughs> yeah, you're good. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Sorry. Finish your thought. Suffer- but there's Carlos is saying suffering is easy. Asking for forgiveness is asking forgiveness is harder. Okay. That's, a, that's actually an interesting point. Hmm. So when Mark and I first started doing this show, um, very early on, we we had started putzing around with um, an idea which I call loosely material grace, which is th- three principles, which is forgiveness, mercy, and faith. Because um, I'm looking at, we talk about God's grace and we talk about uh, uh, divine grace being granted to us and what we pray for oftentimes in the Jesus prayer is, is just, is just that you know, if people aren't familiar with it, it's, it's Lord Jesus Christ and a God have mercy, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Um, and that mercy part is when you, when you start to break apart that prayer, which is often regarded in the Orthodox world as, as the key, like everything about orthodoxy in many ways is contained in that one prayer, which is so beautifully perfect. Um, it's, it's, it's my answer to 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 Adam Patrick, and in some ways, Adam once asked me, "Why are you so big on Gerard?" And it's like, there's there's something about that where it's like he packs this one little thing in, and then when you un, unpack it, there's just this insane amount of depth to it. And I'm not trying to compare Gerard with with the Church Fathers or or, or with the, with the prayer itself, but there, there's that synergism where it's like something is very very simple. And then you try to describe it, and it's like, I, well, I can't. Like, I, I can, but I can't. It's going to take how, how much time do you have. Um, so that even that concept of mercy, which is both reward, to be merciful, to 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 not have the worst thing happen, to have sort of some sort of inter intervenience, some sort of forgiveness, um, a pre forgiveness, because uh, you it's what you say the first thing in the morning. It's what part of the morning prayers. It's something that you that you're encouraged to say constantly. Uh, and I do. I just. If I find myself getting angry, I just say the prayer. I just getting bored, sitting around listlessly, just say the prayer. Like to constantly be in that mode of saying that it's a recognition of of that you are a sinner, that you are fallen, that you that you are imperfect, and that you're asking for both reward and for lenience at the same time, which is divine grace, uh, essentially, and. So what Mark and I were playing around with, and, and this is something I've been meaning to write, but I have a two-year-old, and I use that as a crux for a lot of things. But, um, but uh, uh, I, I'm interested in, the, in, in, in building those bridges to the secular world and building those bridges to people who are outside of orthodoxy and, and, and outside of, let's say, even Christianity, of how you can start doing things, if the, you know, okay, how you can start doing things that are in a Christian sense that lead towards grace whether you believe it or not you know whether it's it's speaking to you from a divine source or not these are things we can do you know if 
I, I remember the original concept I had was like, if the church of woke is inevitable, this thing is just going to take on and we, and there's no, there's no going back from it for, for a percentage of the population. How do we then start to suggest it and integrate certain aspects, positive aspects of Christianity into this, uh, into this ideology? Now I've changed my position on it a little bit, but, but I think that's still valid, you know? Uh, so, so forgiveness in a mortal sense is difficult. Um, if you haven't been humbled, like all of these things r rest upon a humbling that is in order of it is an order of magnitude to the thing that you're asking for forgiveness for. Does that make sense? Um, it, it speaks to the hierarchy. It speaks to it speaks to the hierarchy of morality. It speaks to the hierarchy of being. But in order for us to forgive anything or anyone, we must be humbled. And the person asking for forgiveness must be humbled. Uh, we did a piece on this when when uh, there was COVID amnesty pieces being written, and I remember my position was that even if I was in a position to forgive you, I can't because it's not because you're not humbling yourself in the right way. You have to come to this in the right way. And even at that point, even if I forgive you, in terms of of COVID amnesty, it's it's not enough for me to do it. You're asking the wrong guy. Your 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 issues up here, you know. Like I can forgive you all you want. I can give you all the mercy and forgiveness you want, but it's it's going to ring hollow because because what you've done now, your transgression is bigger than me. Um, and uh, so I don't know if that if that answers the question where forgiveness comes in. It's always in there. It's just depending on what kind of forgiveness you're asking for. If it's just you know, if it's just because you pissed your wife off, you know, there's there's that level of things, um, or you forgot to you know go to your kid's baseball game. There's that level of things, but then there's like transgressions. There's spiritual transgressions above and beyond just a an oops. You know that mm -hmm. um, that when we get into that category, you know, uh, I don't think there's an easy answer. Or there is, or there is an easy answer. But it's it's the Jesus prayer. It's complex. It's like it's it's so easy. It's hard to wrap your your brain around it because you're like, is that mm -hmm. it? And you're like, yep, yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's all there is, you know. Hmm. I have this effect so on people. Do you understand <laughs> that this silence? Honestly, this silence when I'm on the Discord server and we're doing a voice chat. I'll I'll do these little rants and then there's always this pause and I'm like, fuck, is this the moment when I've just said something completely fucking so stupid that everyone's being polite and going, mm-hmm. Uh huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, I, I it, it's it's my own insecurity, but but uh -huh. whatever. But it's 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 always in those moments I have it and, and thankfully I'm I'm getting better at controlling that impulse, but like I'm I, there's always a 30, you know, 13 second pause where I'm like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's cause you, you, uh, you have some, some deep insights and you pack a lot of, I can tell that your mind never stops going, that you're always thinking about this stuff. Cause you pack a lot into a single thought. Um, and I think it's, I think it's valuable to just sit there and let the pause breathe for a second. I know it's it's awkward to listen to and everything, but and it's like I would if I was on the if I was the one who was talking and then there's a really long pause, I'd react exactly the same way. Hang on, I got a little guy going to bed here. Yeah, no Hi, Mister. 
What I miss. Say hi. Uh, hey. You miss me doing a forgiveness rant. Hey, buddy. That's daddy right there. You want to say hi? You got some long hair like daddy. Yep. He said hi to you. He said hi to you. That's right. He's He has his pronouns mixed up, so you means me. Uh-oh. So he That's says okay. hi to you. Is he says hi to me? As long as that's hey, the only way his pronouns stay mixed up. Who's that? Right, right. <laughs> Who's that? That's Jason and Mark. Hi, Jason and Mark. Hi, hi, Eastwood. That's Eastwood. That is Eastwood. They said hi, Eastwood. Hi, Eastwood. All right, you going to bed? Yeah. All right, I love you. Can you smooch? Can you give me a smooch? A smooch. Carlos, be careful! It's, it's, you're sound. You're starting to sound Christian, man. I know you usually leave this stuff over to your to your wife, but you keep saying that God lives in the pause. I don't know, man. Sounds like you're coming over, coming over. Amy says, you're "Getting hi, dragged, my friend." Hmm? <laughs> Amy said, "Hi, Carlos." <clears throat> Amy, uh, he. For the last like week or two weeks or so, uh, Eastwood has refused to give me a hug or a kiss. Like I said, all right, Eastwood, can give me a hug. No hugs. Well, can Daddy have a kiss? No kiss. And if I go kiss him, then he gets he's like, eh, get it off. Um, but then just in the last day or so, all of a sudden it just flipped <clears throat> around, and he's like asking to give me hugs and kisses. So no rhyme or reason. My daughter does this like for for about three weeks solid. It was all mom, right? Mummy, 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 uh-huh. like. I'm being told to get out and all that stuff. Uh, and then literally on like the next day after a few weeks of this, and I even said to my wife, like, watch, it's going to be telling daddy so, sometime soon. Like, I almost, I almost, I almost take the break. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, okay. <Right>. Fine. You <laughs> don't want to know me? Oh, it's okay. I'll just make all your, I'll just keep changing all your diapers and making all your food. You dumb. But, uh, <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> is, is that your yeah. first, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you, man. It's, it's a whole new world. It's the sure other day, when, went to, Amy went to get him up from a nap, and I heard him in there, so I went in there to to uh, um, to say hi, and he was not happy about waking up. And I went in, and I laid down next to him. She's laying on one side of the bed. I lay down on the other side next to him, and he goes, Daddy, go away. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know. I know. Go back to work. <laughs> Anyways, well, so okay. yeah, you yeah, missed Jason. Was, Jason had an, just an epic, epic rant on um, on forgiveness. Because Carlos asked, what was his question exactly? He said, uh, scroll up. Uh, scrolling up, uh, suffering is easy, asking forgiveness is harder. <clears throat> hmm. When does forgiveness come into the equation? Um, and uh, I think, I think that the, to me, I don't see them as mutually exclusive. I think that it's, there's a, a running thing with with orthodoxy that you get lots of like either or questions on stuff. Yes and, and but. Yes, yeah, yes and. Um, this this is when you and. this is normally when you, when you bring up Lord of Spirits. By the way, Mark, Matt. So it's like <laughs> Lord of Spirits is basically. I made the, I made the analogy in my head the other day. I'm like Lord of Spirits is basically your Curtis Yarvin's Hitler lives. Like there's, a, there's <laughs> you can't go through a podcast <laughs> without it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so go ahead, um, plug Lord of Spirits. Go ahead. It's, I, I like, I like, I like it too. So enlighten me. I don't, I don't know Lord of Spirits. Um. So so, Lord of Spirits is a podcast with uh with two Orthodox priests who are, 
describing basically like describing the the unseen world from an orthodox perspective so if you've ever heard of nephilim or mm -hmm. uh, uh giants um demons uh, all those sorts of things which actually those are th those three words for the the same concept um spoiler alert uh so it's it's episode. it was actually yeah they do a giants episode it's like four hours long um but it's cool. it's that's, that's it was my bag really a a uh, fundamental in my conversion was listening to that uh the if you're going to listen to it start from the very beginning go back to the very first episode and listen from there the first few episodes they kind of have some audio issues so it can be a little difficult to get through but um just plug plug on through it and then it gets better and then now it's 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 just uh, it's like the best podcast out there. It's my favorite podcast. Uh, just can't miss. Hmm. Um, they cover Other than the two bit podcast, obviously. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, they cover, uh, the, uh, like, uh, what, it, what sacrifice means. They do a series on what sacrifice means. They do, uh, uh what a body is. What is God's body? What is hmm. the body of God? What's the body of an angel? What, are, what, what are angels? Um, the yeah it's it's like you wouldn't really think of it as a as a christian podcast necessarily because it's mostly like history and philosophy but i realized in listening to it that history and philosophy is christian and if you have a perspective of history or philosophy that's not christian that's because you've only gotten part of the story you've only gotten the the gay watered down version History and philosophy is Christian and has always been Christian. That's, that's that was one thing I was going to say just before you went out. I was going to say that I've been trying to figure out exactly the angle I want to go with my show. And the I think the a thing that occurred to me today, I was listening to David Patrick Harry uh, does a show um, called Church of the Eternal Logos. And he did an episode on Atlantis. And, and he... And I realized—is is it the eye, the eye of the Sahara? He he talks about that. He also talks about uh, Randall Carlson's theory about it being the uh, the the um, Azores Plateau, and uh, and then he gets into he talks about Helena Blavatsky and Rudolf Steiner and uh, the uh, um, Edgar Casey and some of the crazy esoteric mystics and all that kind of stuff. And 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 I realized that there's a this is an underserved market the intersection of weird alternative history and esotericism and orthodoxy hmm. like an like an, an orthodox <clears throat> like an orthodox perspective on whatever graham hancock writes about right yeah of. all these all these weird well so i had just sent jason uh, i don't know if it was the last but one of the most recent episodes of tinfoil hat where they had on a guest who has a youtube channel called the white lotus of light i believe white lotus something and not not the tv show white lotus but <laughs> the same uh type of name <clears throat> and i thought it was fascinating because this guy goes into um Mol moloch <clears throat> sort of these spirits so moloch being this identity uh, entity that lives uh molochianism luciferianism christianity the, the, the historicity of all these things and um, the difference. And, and he defined sort of Elon Musk, Trump, these guys as Luciferian and in a way I'd never really heard of before in that hmm. uh, Luciferianism 
is very materialistic and they want they 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 pursue material success and so they're not necessarily opposed to things but if you look at because i've i've been watching elon for a long time and he's always been enigmatic for me because okay he's for free speech he's for certain things i also think he's a he's a uh, um a part of the deep state i mean he's he's national intelligence for sure you don't get you don't get to shoot off rockets or or do any of the shit he's doing without being linked to the pentagon in some way fuck the and, pentagon can't shoot down a fucking balloon yeah so i mean <laughs> so, uh so i read about that apparently this balloon had crossed canadian airspace before it went into the u.s and the canadians had oh, tried to shoot it balloons. down and they shot it. They, they they spent like 300 rounds and they, they just went right through the balloon and they wouldn't knock it and they couldn't shoot it with, with bombs because if it, the, they, they shot it with a, like a heavy missile and it went right through it and they're like, fuck, where's this going to land? And so basically the idea is like, you, <laughs> it's brilliant. So if you want to uh, take over the world, use some balloons. And then we won't get into, there was even Anomaly and a few other people who had posted about, because again, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those, you know, crazy conspiracy guys. Um, who, who's aware of the idea that NASA has been the largest purchaser of helium basically in history. And mm. people don't know that satellites, most of them at least, are just machinery attached to a balloon that's floating mm -hmm. around. They're not this well, what about space, shit. Mark? No, yeah. there's space, Mark. They go up with a rocket and they're floating around in space and there's space junk, which is why we can't go to the moon anymore because of the space junk. Yeah, I thought it was the Van Halen radiation belts. I don't know what oh, it is. Too. There's so many excuses. I don't know. I can't keep track of them. It's because of space um, dinosaurs. That's that's there. There's there's fossils yeah. floating in space from the space dinosaurs. Yeah. But Did so you, this guy who was talking about um, the difference between um, uh, Moloch and these different gods and then he speaks about what he called the most high and it was interesting because just that day I had tweeted because I was listening to something else and I heard the phrase and it comes from the Bible I'd heard it growing up was that the most high God is a peace that surpasses all understanding and I was like okay I can relate to that that's that's heavy that's deep and I, <laughs> I tweeted it and Jason caught it <laughs> surpasses okay it surpasses <laughs> i guess i don't know i don't know this is the problem with i hate spell check because i'm like i don't yeah. even know these anytime you use like a biblical term it's like red uh -huh. line red line also red having line. me as a, having me as a mutual is a pain in the ass honestly like, i'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm but, a special case there's a reason i have like almost no friends like, there's, like this is this is my social hour has to be restricted to online online usage for about an hour to two hours each time per week like that's that's all the that's all they'll allow me you know well we're glad to have you around oh, I, try, um, I, I try to restrict jason's access to me i said there's only so much and then it, it you know it becomes detrimental at a certain point but his reference to to the most high and he said people who worship moloch have a certain um, proclivity towards behaviors and and people that worship Lucifer have a certain one and people that worship the most high understand that um, that sort of Christ as the scapegoat mechanism universalizes the idea of, of forgiveness and 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 it individualizes the struggle this goes back to what we were talking about with COVID and it has a lot of other things but I just thought it was really interesting because he he, he, he sort of combined all these interesting and i don't i don't i don't mind the esoteric i think it can be really interesting and i like anything and i i again i'm learning about orthodoxy through you guys this is something i never really looked into and i'd always been i'd always 
I steer away from saying professing any specific rigid belief structure. I was raised Christian. That's the way, that's my perspective on the world. It's always going to be, and I'm coming to terms and, and trying to understand it in my own way. And I think, again, like I was saying before, you're, you're faced with a choice, pick one. And if I'm going to look at any, I'm going to look at the one that has the best outcomes societally. And to me, that's Christianity. And to me, it, it, it makes sense. And I like the idea of um, what the moral of the story of Christ represents in that go ahead well what you're gonna say in that what well um <laughs> no, opening pandora's box it represents a lot of things different things to different people but for me it it represents the that christ is the lamb of god and i'd always heard that phrase and it never i never put the two and two together and jason's always been talking about gerard and gerard's analysis of the scapegoat mechanism and how that seems to be inherent to, to humanity, like it's, it's it's as 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 a part of us as breathing, this need to put our sins on something. If you look at this in in relation to the old Hebrew, where they had a sacrifice and they had the scapegoat, right? And the scapegoat was the thing that you put your sins on and 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 then killed as a penance. And then Christ came and said, okay, here, here I am. I'm this piece of God, but I'm, a, I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man. You are the son of God. I mean, there's so much in there. You could, you could dig into it eternally and never fully, at least me anyways, I, you know, I can, I can see pieces of it and go, okay, I understand that, but I could never pretend to, this is why I kind of shy away from preaching in any way. Cause I'm so humbled by my lack of understanding of the whole concept. And okay, so I feel let's, safer let's, just asking questions about it than preaching about it. But let, let me just try to synergize a little bit of what you're saying, Mark. Um, yeah, please. Because we're, we're starting to run out of time. But um, one of the things we were talking before before the show, Matt, was that this. I, so, yeah, this the Girardian idea of the scapegoat and 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 all that. I, I don't think we have enough time to play that. I'm Curry clip in full, but there's a there's a lot of talk. Sorry, my mic's going crazy. A lot of talk between the story and the reality. Right, so this this I this constant thing we keep coming up to, uh, and I'm going to say this and let let you let you go, um, where people are, are stuck on this idea that it's not it doesn't have to be true for it to have the effects, and I think to speak I don't want to speak for you, but I from my perspective it's like no 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 this thing is true to to it's true not because it, because it's real and it happened it's true because it's beyond truth it's it creates it creates truth. Um, which is which is bigger than the story, bigger than everything else. Um, you know, Gerard supports this. A lot of other people support this. But let's hear what you what you have to say about it. about the let's say how do we phrase this about the validity of the Christ story, um, or the because it's no longer myth. It's you know, and I, I'm trying to come up with a question, but I think I think you know where I'm I, getting. Yeah, at, I, I've, got, yeah. I've got I've got a whole my two cents. Like what I'd said to Jason before is like. The way I see it is whether or not it literally happened, like you could go back in time and even if you were part of the, the disciples who were there and Christ said, you don't even get it. You don't even see it. They doubted him at the time. I can I can see it as um, having rejected fundamentalism. I can still say it's true, like two plus two equals four is true. Hmm. So, so I, okay, I've got, I've got three different thoughts lined up here. So 
um, and they all kind of tie into each other a little bit. So the first one is I, one of the most profound moments for me in what I would call my conversion, because I, I, I grew up Christian. I never really stopped considering myself Christian. Um, but then there was a clear point where all of a sudden it just became more real than it had ever been. Hmm. And one of the characteristics of that point was, um, I think it was related to listening to Jordan Peterson and him talking about these, these archetypes. And I realized that it was there, there, there was a point at which it was like, whether or not it's true, whether or not it's factual or historical, or it's literal. still true. Right. Yeah. It's still true. It, right. It's yeah. true in that you're like describing, it's like you're describing patterns in nature, the way that, that, that these patterns play out. And so if you act like it's true, you get the same effects as if it was actually true. Hmm. And so then when I, when I hit that point, it just like, I, I was like, okay, so, so now there must be a higher category. There must be like a meta truth where it's true, whether it's true or not. If it's right. if it's not true, it's still true. And so then once I hit that point, I was like, okay, well, it must be true. And I never really doubted that it was true. It just, it, it, it hadn't been put in the right framing for me. Mm-hmm. So then uh, thought number two is related, but it was addressing something you said. You talked about the guy who had, uh, uh, he was talking about uh, uh, Molech and was it Baal? Or Lucifer? Uh, well, yeah, well, I think you touched on all three, but yeah. yeah. Luciferianism. And, and then you had the like the most high God. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an interesting passage in, in the Bible. It's it excuse me. Acts 17. So um Saint Paul or Apostle Paul uh is in uh in Greece. He's talking to the Greeks. And it says uh in verse twenty two, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So it's kind of like what this guy's talking about. This guy's like the most high God. It's kind of like the, we know these all these characteristics of these, of these other gods, but then there's the most high God who's kind of the, he's the one that, he's the God of the gods. And we don't really know anything about him, but he's out there. And the Greeks had this sense of him. So they had an altar there. That's like okay, well, let's cover all of our bases. Make sure we may not really right. know this God, but it's the <laughs> all these ones God, and then so. the whatever that was. Yeah, right. And so what he what Paul says is what therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you: the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So part of this, so this wow. is kind of, this will be some spoilers for um, Lord of Spirits if you get into it. But they draw these parallels between how the pagan idol worship worked and then how Christian worship worked. So in a, in a pagan sense, you were responsible for building the body of your God. So hmm. uh, they didn't, they didn't like actually believe that the idol was literally like a God. They believed that it was the body of the God that they would build the body, and then they had a ritual. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but the ritual involved um, uh, uh, like breathing into the nose of the, of the idol or something like that. And like, and like mm, it, yeah, it was, it was like a metaphorical like of, the, of the spirit yeah. of the God going into the idol. Right. But then 
you would have to take uh, the the priest's responsibility was to take care of the idol. So they would have to dress it. If it tipped over, they'd have to pick it up, set it back up again. They would um, have to like bring the food to it. They'd have to clean it and wash it and everything. And so the Christian perspective on that was like, this is your God. Like your God lives, inhabits like this little <laughs> idol and you it like, it can't even stand. Your itself. God's you a baby. Look at your little baby <laughs> God. Look hey, at what is changes nappy to you. Fucker. <laughs> <laughs> so much of, so much of the Bible is Christians talking shit to other nations about right. how puny and pathetic their gods are. Right. So, um, and, and then it, so then the, the, the parallel here, so the pagans have to build the body of their God that their God can then come inhabit. And on the flip side, God, from the Christian perspective, God created our bodies, and then he is the one who serves and maintains us. Hmm. The, the pagans have to serve and maintain their God. He serves and maintains us. To continue with, with what Paul said here, um, uh, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So every nation, there's, here's an affirmation of ev that having many different nations is being affirmed in the Bible, that it, there's not supposed to be one nation. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And then it goes on from there, because the, the Greeks, once you talk about like raising someone from the dead, the Greeks freaked out. So you, you, can, you can go on from there. Um, Not just the Greeks, but, yeah. Yeah, so... So this gets me to my, to my third point. The point where I would say was like the, like the, the summation of my uh, conversion experience, if you wanted to put brackets on it. The first point was probably that Jordan Peterson, like meta truth realization. And then um, in Lord of Spirits, they did a series on uh, what, I can't, is it worship? What worship is? Was it what sacrifice is? One or the other. Basically, they're both the same thing. So in the Bible, to worship is to sacrifice. And sacrifice doesn't mean quite what it means to us. It doesn't have quite the same connotation. So to us, sacrifice means like giving something up. In the Bible, when it mm -hmm. talks about sacrifice, it's referring to having a meal. So hmm. when you sacrifice with someone, you have a meal with them. So sacrificing to a god is having a meal with the God. This is why all of the pagan worship rituals were always feasts, feasts and dancing and then sex and orgies and all kinds of stuff. Mm. That's, oh, yeah. a, that's a, that's a, a corruption of actual worship, which actual worship is having a meal with your it's God. It's like partaking. Mm -hmm. Cause I wanted to ask so, about that because that always, for me, that was always a trigger was this, this uh, Pentecostal, 
idea of especially the church i grew up in where worship to them was singing songs mm. and i was like and i, I appreciate there's a place for music i like music i'm a musician um and i always enjoyed the feeling in church i was part of the the church orchestra but it felt you could you could get some kind of catharsis through it but it was also empty in a in a way and it would, when i watch you know um these you know Hillsong united or these other you see like these christian worship bands and it's fun it, it has the effect on you that music does but i've 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 okay if you're going to do that maybe it's better than you know watching uh tv or something but i've never been able to connect the relationship mm. to god like how how does singing songs to god what is that what is that what's the practical way to understand what that relation what what is that doing for the relationship and i've never been able to square that circle mm. so so orthodox worship um services do and it does involve singing it's actually almost all singing but it's more like you 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 would probably call it chanting it's more similar to chanting mm. um well that's like the, i don't know if you've ever been to temple at, at, a, at a like a synagogue uh, i've gone with my wife several times and they do the same thing where they sing the entire service hmm I don't yeah, know why that is, but that's what they do. Yeah, it's it's part of the. Uh, let's see what I could say here. It's part of the uh, um, similar original traditions. We'll say that. Okay. Um. So, the so sacrifice meal with your God. Um. So yeah. So when when the when the Israelites would be, um, because thinking like Old Testament times when the Israelites were were sacrificing to God, what they were instructed to do was bring something of them of their the, bring something of their own so whether it's bring your uh, 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 uh an animal or mm -hmm. bring bread or wheat cakes or or wheat or oil or whatever you bring those mm -hmm. things bringing an animal so the reason that you would bring the animal to sacrifice it is number one it's basically your money it's basically like your source of wealth. Number two, if you're going to eat something, you have to kill it first. It, like if you're gonna eat an animal, you have to kill it first. So the the killing part of the process isn't wasn't ritualized, the actual killing of it. There was a procedure that was before it. Now, when you described it earlier, you described it the way that I always understood it up until I listened to Lord of Spirits and the mm. way that the vast majority of Protestant Christians understand it where you right. had two goats you had and 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 one of them was the scapegoat and so you put the sins on the scapegoat that goat was not killed the goat the sins were put on the goat and it was sent out into the wilderness mm -hmm. and then the other goat both goats had to be perfect they both had to be flawless right, yeah, spotless yeah and then the other goat was the one that was eaten now, what's fascinating is Christ represents both goats, or both goats represent Christ. So the sins are put on him and taken away from the camp. And, and that's like that's why it was sent out in the wilderness. It was like, right. we're taking the sins from here and putting them over there. And it's something you sacrifice, something you, you, you had to give this thing up, this thing of value, you had to give it up, and it's taken away so that when the sins that you had committed in the sin, the disease, the taint, the stain of sin is taken away so that God can come and dwell with you. Because 
perfect, holy, almighty God in the presence of a sinful person will, it's death by holiness. They will be consumed because sin cannot exist in God's presence. So if God wants to come dwell with his people, then his people can't be sinful, not because it pisses him off, but because you literally will die. You cannot exist in his presence if you're holding on to your sin. So Mm. if you think of sin as like a disease, the disease has to be eradicated from you so that you can fully exist in the presence of God. So when the Israelites would would fuck up and do stupid stuff and like um, go worship other idols and whatever, and then God would leave their midst, we get the impression of he's like he's like all right you 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 stupid fuck ups I'm I'm out of here until you get your act together again, but that's what, not what it was. It was you're inviting sin into your midst, which means if I'm in your midst, you're going to die, right. and I don't want you to die. I'm going to as as an act of grace, I'm going to withdraw myself from you, so you have you can get your act together, and then we can dwell together once again. So then for the for the actual act of sacrifice, the actual act of worship, the so they would have the 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 animal that they would eat, whether it was a, a an um an oxen or or uh, or goats or whatever the things were that they were eating, um they would be sacrificed and then they would feast. They would eat the eat the animal and this was supposed to be their like participating in this relationship with their god. They're they're eating. He's his presence is there and you're eating with him ceremonially. The significance then of the cross and then the Eucharist after that is that now the sacrifice that you're bringing is not something you're bringing. God is bringing the sacrifice because the sacrifice is his body and his blood. It's no longer a goat that you brought to bear. It's his body and his blood. And the meal that you're eating in his presence is him that that was just i never really understood why the eucharist was so important like why it's such a central focus the eucharist is the bread the bread and wine yeah so so orthodox this is the 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 last supper idea yes yes this bread it's my body drink this wine it's my blood i don't know (laughs) yes yeah yeah yeah. that's exactly it so when you i've never understood because i believe it's all symbology but there's a truth in the symbology and and even in the like i I don't know depending on which sort of how you understand the religion it can be even more literal so the orthodox church believes that it is literally the body and blood of christ so when you're eating it you're not just eating bread and wine you're eating the flesh of christ and you're drinking his blood which sounds kind of morbid but the significance of it is that his his body is a perfect human body so he's he's fully god and fully man so there is a perfect human body christ for all of eternity christ will have male genitalia he he has a physical human body and when we eat his body we become like him so our human selves become divinized. Our human nature becomes divinized by being united with his divine nature through the process of communing with him, eating a meal with our God. That's what, that's what Christianity is. Mm. And that was, 
I grew up in the church. I grew up like memorizing. I, I probably had thousands of, of verses memorized. I had, I, I was like, yeah, I had to memorize the, the whole Bible, whole basically. That yeah. was, memorization was like a part of our school. It was like you yeah. had to memorize chapters and recite them. Yes. Um, but we, I was raised a Protestant evangelical, and so we didn't have the Eucharist or the. I remember when I, I at grade for grade twelve, I went to a public Catholic school, and I had to do mass for the first time, mm-hmm. and the priest handed me the cracker, and I just took it, put it in my pocket, and they got kicked out. <laughs> I had no idea. I'd never heard of any right. of this before. They're like, no, you got to eat it. Like, so you're supposed to put it in your mouth, whatever. And so, you know, hearing this stuff, I'm still, it's still very foreign to me. Like, I got to mm-hmm. think about that because for me, if I can't, I think this has probably been a problem throughout my life is I need to be able to understand it practically. And I've mm-hmm. talked about this with Jason on other episodes because my mom sent me what had always been or has become my favorite verse in the Bible, which is uh, to lean not on your own understanding. Hmm. That, uh, that it's through faith. And I was like, okay, like I can come to terms with that, that I don't have to, it doesn't have to make sense to me. There could be some, like maybe it's it's like um, looking at, you know, today's Western leftist ideology where they're trying to explain why being fat is okay. And I'm like, no, no, just just go to the gym. It's, it's in the <laughs> practice, right? Like yes, the salvation yes. is in the works, it's in the deed. And so for me, like the belief, faith is the act. Mm-hmm. And I don't yes. need, even even if I don't understand it, it's like, okay, well, I'll just believe and I can be okay with that. And I can turn my mind off and just rest in that peace. And so that's where I'm at with a lot of this stuff. Like, and give it time. Every six months, I have a little bit of a revelation. And I go, oh, oh okay, that makes some sense. Jason will talk about shit for years. And I'm like, oh, my God. I, you know, okay. Uh, uh, I get a little piece of it at a time and I got to become okay with uh, humility. Keep in mind, I do ramble quite a bit. So, <laughs> something Jason said earlier. He said uh, something. I think it was Jason said something about the, uh, um, like, what are some things that you know, if the Church of Woke is going to become fully ascendant and stuff, what are like little practical things that you can give people that they can start doing? They can start incorporating the these orthodox. Yeah, what's the, what's the go to the gym and pick up a, mm-hmm. some dumbbells version of that? So. What's interesting is that is that orthodoxy, orthodox Christianity, was originally called before it was called Christianity. It was called the Way. They were referred to as followers of the Way, and then it was an anti and it was in Antioch that they were um, first called Christians, and it was a derogatory term. It right. was like, and they were like, "We'll wear that badge of honor." Um, so Christianity has always been a a praxis. It has always been. It's the way. It's the way that you live. You live in a particular way. It's not just about thoughts that you think. Um, so the the prescriptions for the, like if you were someone who was going to, if you're going to become a catechumen, for example, like you need to learn the stuff about the church. What is, what is that, details. a catechumen? What does that mean? So it's basically like, a, um, you could think of it as like being engaged to the church. Um, so you're, you're, um, Maybe so someone who's an inquirer before, so it goes inquirer, catechumen, and then a baptized Christian. So inquirer would be like you're dating. You're kind of starting to get to know each other. Then catechumen would be like you get engaged, which says we're going to get married. And I'm now I'm now committing myself to the process of preparing to get married. And so then in that process, we're getting to know each other. We're starting to do, to 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 um, develop life together, learn how to live together, um, all those sorts of things. So um, mm. a catechumen is just, it, it means um, 
I don't know what the actual technical like an term understudy is in it. a sense, like a yeah, a, like uh, an apprentice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you get a you're given a a, a, a spiritual father, and then you're given a um, a sponsor as well, which is a a more senior Christian who um, hmm. in the church who becomes your source of advice, mentor. Kind I of like thing. that. I like the, the the calling it a sponsor. Like mm-hmm. a, like an yeah. AA kind of thing. Like here's exactly. your, someone to actually sit with you and and like you said, an apprentice. Like it's, this yeah. is, I, I like the idea of being designated someone to turn to because that's something that also didn't exist in my church. Right, you had to, mm-hmm. the, the pastor who was kind of on his own deal. He didn't talk to you. You were just a member of the congregation. You know, you're mm. some kid. There was no maybe you had your youth pastor or something, but you were never had a one on one guide just kind of thrown to yeah just do what everyone else is doing yeah no you get you get a uh um now depending on the how many people are in the church you're likely uh if you have a sponsor that person's likely a sponsor for for multiple people depending on how many catechumens mm-hmm. you have and how many actual members you have but they're there to answer questions to um to help you because what you're doing is you're learning how to live like an orthodox christian you're not just you're not just um studying the church or just like learning the details about the church you're learning the praxis and so then the things that the you'd asked about like what, what do they go like pick up some barbells it would be um praying fasting and almsgiving would probably be the three biggest ones what's well, almsgiving then, like tithing um no like giving to the poor like giving giving of your sacrificing of your means to other people who need them community <clears throat> service kind yeah of thing. you could think of it that way yeah um, and you still tithe on top of that, I guess, or is mm-hmm. that? Yeah. That being said, anyone who wants to thrive over to Matt, you can always go over to subscribe. Sorry, his, his subscribe <laughs> star or his Substack. I've done both. Is that almsgiving? And uh, it, this, <laughs> this is account if we all give it to each other. <laughs> no, no. It, it, uh, I'm poor. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to be poor again. I'm in debt now. <laughs> what are you talking about? I own a house. Right, poor right. Up here. I, yeah, yeah I right, right. I can't right. wait to be poor again. <laughs> I'm. But 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 really, especially prayer and fasting, like those are. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a verse in in the Bible where uh, um, the disciples had tried to. I can't remember what they tried to do. I'm sure someone's going to put it in the comments here in a second. Someone they either tried to cast out a demon or or raise someone from the dead or something like that. It was like a, a serious miracle, and they were unable to do it. And then um, uh, uh, Christ came and he performed the miracle because they were able to perform miracles, but this one was, was basically too much for him. And he said, uh, he, he essentially said, um, in my, my modern day trans, uh, paraphrase of it, he said, um, this, like, this was a tough one. And these ones, they're only accomplished through, through prayer and fasting. Like you'll be hmm. able to do these kinds of things, but it's only going to be through prayer and fasting because through the, the practice of prayer and fasting, you are um, essentially uh, you're, you're you're refining your will, you're refining your you're toning your willpower. So fasting, when 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 you're Orthodox, the there's specific there's specific patterns for fasting, but it's not it's not like um, legalistic or rigorous. You there's there's a specific fasting calendar and everything, and you're encouraged to do it to the best of your ability. But you're gonna there's something a concept within the, within Orthodoxy called economia. Which basically means just like um, uh, I don't remember the exact definition of it, but it's it's essentially like uh, the spirit of the law, kind of that you're mm. there's a spirit of the law and there's a letter of the law, and people with spiritual authority are authorized to 
um, to use economia to say for this, this one person may need a one particular fast schedule. This other person may need a different one because the point is not the physical things that you're fasting from. The point is that you're depriving yourself of something and you're right. toning your willpower. Yeah, it's hard. That's the point. Yes. So what's your thought? Because I've, I've had through my, um, sort of symbiotic relationship with, with, uh, Judaism through my extended family. And I know the criticism from my Jewish stepmother who can't stand Christians because she's like, well, you guys just cheat. Hmm. And I said, well, yeah, Christians do. I think I, I don't think that I've ever been wrong in the statement as far as I understood. I could, I could be wrong, but um, Christ said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And the law and the prophets, as I understand it, is the Torah. So the law is the first half, the prophets is the second half. And um, if if you're going to do Christianity correctly, it, it includes Orthodox Judaism with its fasting and with its abstinences and with all of its structures. And the, the, I think that, that there's a correct okay. criticism well, there from Jewish people of, of the, the Western Protestant Christians who were like, oh, I said a prayer. I'm good. We're, we're going like, to no, no. wrap up on this point. We're going to wrap up on this point because I know exactly. I see it in Matt's face. <laughs> say what you're going to say, Matt. Yeah. Can, can I can I say what I'm going to say? Can yeah, I, yeah. What, you got. Okay, so um, if this if this is the last show, folks, we'll be over at Rumble. <laughs> yeah, we're on we're on other, we're on other, we're on other places. So <laughs> we'll see where this goes. You know. Um. So there's a general conception that uh christianity is the younger brother of judaism and the perspective of the orthodox church is something like the other way around hmm. essentially that judaism is a newer tradition than orthodox christianity so in a sense if you wanted to be provocative about it you could say that orthodox christians are the true jews that's how the that's how the Orthodox Church sees itself as the actual continuation of the Old Testament tradition, and that Judaism, which the the modern Judaism was one of many different Judaisms that existed post Christianity that arose in response to Christianity. Hmm. Okay, um, I like that. That's because you can compare again through my symbiotic uh, uh, experience with it modern judaism and torah mm -hmm. worlds apart mm -hmm. there's a whole and, and my wife will will, will attest to this because she's like here's all these things we do and i'm like that's not because I, I i showed her the torah and then she showed me judaism and they're nothing alike mm -hmm. yes so then we can uh if we want to get really off the reservation here then we can tie in the 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 talmud and the ukraine and uh, that's for things. That's, that's, things a, that's really a separate episode. Yeah. That's, separate episode. that's for rumble. Matt, <laughs> Matt, I don't want to keep you. I don't want to keep you forever. I know you. You got you got family and, and, and a schedule to keep. Uh, where can people find you, Matt? When are you coming back? Uh, do your do do your spiel. Um, yeah. So uh, the YouTube channels where I do the most of my stuff here. I haven't been active for the last several months, up to a year, basically. 
but uh, um, I'm going to be, be starting some streams up here again shortly. The channel's called King Pilled. Um, I got a couple different ideas for some streams that I'm going to do. I just need the time and I need to get some of my channel art and stuff figured out so I look semi-professional. Um, by the way, the thumbnails are, are, are looking killer, Mark. I heard you're the one that's responsible for those. Those are, those are kick-ass. Um, the, uh, so the channel is King Pilled. <laughs> yeah, man, this has been, this has been a lot of fun. This has been a really good conversation. Um, you guys got a good thing going here. Uh, so King Pilled would be the channel. And then, uh, the, some of the streams that I'm looking at, at doing here in the, in the near future is, um, I'm going to do some live readings of, uh, like I did the live readings of, of Moldbug's writings and those seem to be popular. Um, it's kind of like, it's essentially kind of like an audiobook for stuff that often isn't on audiobook, except you get like live commentary along with it. So um, there's a couple of books by Father Seraphim Rose, who is a, um, a recently reposed uh, Orthodox priest who will will almost certainly be canonized as a saint um, in the very near future. And uh, yes, yep. He was a... Mark, are you familiar with Alan Watts? Yes. Um, Father Seraphim, before he converted, he was a like a disciple of Alan Watts. Hmm. Um, and so he wrote a book called uh, 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 Nihilism. Uh, I can't remember the subheading of it. Nihilism. Uh, this is the, I don't remember. It's something about the modern, modern age. Either, yeah. yeah. And then another one was called uh, Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future. And then um, uh, God's Revelation to a Human Heart, to the Human Heart, and um, uh, Genesis Creation and Early Man. <clears throat> All very, very interesting books. So I'm going to cool. do some live readings of, of excerpts from some of those. And then I also, um, I, I'm going to try to get together. If anybody out there has ideas, suggestions for guests who might be able to speak to the grand, kind of general Graham Hancockian worldview, Atlantis, ancient civilizations, catastrophism, et cetera. Look up, look up this guy, White Lotus with, of Light, on YouTube. Okay. First time yeah. I asked him, I was like, whoa. Very cool. And I specifically, I want to try to make some connections between the Orthodox worldview, whether it's from the guests themselves or from stuff that I bring in or like, like that, that's, that's a, an angle that I want to take. So that's a, a series that I'm going to be starting to spin up. So, um, so yeah, if you just go subscribe on YouTube, you can follow me on Twitter at real King Pilled. And then also if you want to join the discord that Jason talked about earlier, then you can go to uh, uh, subscribestar.com slash King Pilled and uh, you can sign up there. <clears throat> I put links pretty much, I think for your, uh, for Twitter, your uh, subscribe store and for your Substack in the description below. So if anyone wants to check it out, it's there. Matt, thank you so much, man. I appreciate thank you guys. it. Uh, yes. It's yeah, always an honor to have you on. Great chat. Uh, I didn't think I had two love. hours in me. And <laughs> we pulled <laughs> you through. <laughs> we pulled you through. This is great. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for watching. Uh, like, subscribe, share, do the things, you know, buttons and whistles and whatever. Uh, and we will be back next week. I believe we might be talking to do, uh, David Gronowski. Hopefully, we got to figure that out. Uh, if not, we'll be talking to Mark Claire this month, uh, and of course, doing the weekly shows and Two very all that days. shenanigans. So, yeah, thanks again. We'll talk to you guys. Have a good month. Peace, see you guys. Ciao.